Thanks again for listening to the September-October 2013 podcast edition of Alberta Doctors Digest. Once again, I'm your host and editor-in-chief, Marvin Polis, and joining me over the phone line is Dr. Sandy Patterson. He's the co-editor of Alberta Doctors Digest, and his regular column is called In a Different Vein. This time, his story is entitled Three Museums and a Flood. Sandy, it sounds like you had an interesting August holiday in southern Alberta. Tell us about it. Well, it, it was very simple, really. I I thought we we would just have a little trip around looking at some of the rather funky museums that are available that are around in Alberta. You can tell a lot from museums, you know. The standard ones, of course, everybody likes to go to, but these ones were rather strange, and I thought it would be rather a nice trip. The other thing really was with the sort of medical aspect of, you know, many of my younger colleagues sort of uh, roll their eyes a little bit when I ask about the social history of a patient and who they are and what's their background and everything. They sort of say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's, I don't know, he's a plasterer or something. And it's one of the quotations that Sir William Osler um, made, which is very, very insightful. And maybe you've got to take it in the context of the late 19th century, early 20th, when perhaps they weren't quite as knowledgeable about certain diseases. But he said it's more important to know what sort of a patient has a disease than what sort of a disease a patient has. Okay, well, I'll bite, Sandy. Have you ever had a patient who's a Vulcan? Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I had had a lady that... um, was from Vulcan just relatively recently and I then you know said um, well you know you're the Star Trek oh she said yeah yeah that's a big deal you must come down so that was the first thing that got me interested was this crazy zany idea that Vulcan in some way was a Star Trek home for Trekkies we decided to make a visit to Vulcan on the day that was their 100th anniversary I think it was August the 2nd or something like that and their big parade and to take in the museum there that was just opened up. That was really interesting, going down to Vulcan. It's a great little town. We arrived just as the parade had got underway, and it was a fabulous parade. There was plenty of room to stand and watch. Many of the bystanders and watchers were sort of shouting at the parade people because they knew them and they were replying, and it was much better than the Calgary Stampede Parade, I tell you. Does Edmonton still do the Klondike Parade? Do they still call it that? I can't call. Yes, in fact, the, the K-Days Parade. K-Days Parade, yeah. And, you know, these are kind of big jobs and absolute set intervals. It's really well rehearsed and uh, you watch and it's nice. But we didn't have any marching bands in Vulcan and there was no great sweeper-ups of horse dung weren't there. And there was just a young lad with a wheelbarrow and another one with a scooper that was in the parade and they did a good job of just clearing up from all the horses there were a lot of horses on that parade and we had the beautiful old farming equipment combine harvesters old tractors almost everybody in town sort of was there including len wade who's the family doctor of the year the ama family doctor of the year he was there in a horse-drawn buggy which on the side of the buggy it said something like live long and prosper and I thought, that's a funny thing to say, live long and prosper. Well, of course, that is the planet Vulcan's uh, motto. Well, and of course, there's a, there's a museum, right, in, in Vulcan. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us about the museum. If you're a Star Trek fan, then it's a must-see. It's just opened up. They have lots of costumes of all the characters in the various generations of Star Trek. 
and they've also got a couple of uh, some interesting little bits and pieces from other movies Breakback Mountain you know the boots of what's his name the star of Brokeback Mountain Heath Ledger an Australian actor his boots were there I went into the museum really expecting to see Captain Kirk and Scotty and Doc McCoy but most of the stuff he had was for later generations who I didn't really follow Star Trek beyond the first generation and um the beautiful costumes, he's got lots of them, you know, of all the various Carpathians and all the various beings that exist in the universe that the Star Trek uh, visited. He had a little, there was only a, a length of yellow cotton that was a representative of Captain Kirk's shirt. And I said to the guy that owns it, Michael, his name was, I said, you know, what about uh, the first generation? Like Captain Kirk's yellow shirt, you know, could you not got one of those? And he just about, he said, no, he said, it's $80,000 for a, a Captain Kirk shirt. We're not anywhere near that yet. So, you know, I had to accept that. <laughs> so you can, uh, it's, a good, it's good to go down and visit, get your photograph taken with the Dr. Spock bronze and everybody's really into it. You know, it's not like it's a bit crazy. Everybody really thinks it's rather cool. Yes, Vulcan is a, is a fun little town. I've been there myself. And, uh, and I understand that, uh, that next you moved on to High River. To have some lunch there, try and support the local economy. And it was a sad place. There's big problems there still. And even in August, we're still pumping water out. All the businesses closed. I saw garage sales all over the place and one most of them were usual garage sales I suppose but one just said you know everything free everything free take it away so it's just so sad and I don't think things are changing there very much I the, the hospital was open but I think running at a slower pace I just feel so sorry for those folks because they're still out it's still not clear whether they're going to be compensated in certain parts of the town anyway uh, the contrast between Vulcan and High River was quite striking yes so of course let's let's wish everybody from High River and uh, and anybody affected by the southern Alberta floods this summer uh, you know all the best of luck going forward and and now I, I understand that you moved on from there to an, another bizarre museum yeah, this is the world-famous Gopher Hole Museum. I think most people can give this one a miss, unless you're going through Torrington, but the kids will love it. And, you know, and it's these little riches and ground squirrels that they, <laughs> they've trapped and killed and dressed up in various uh, anthropomorphic poses, you know, they're baking or plowing the field in little boxes. I don't know, you know, it, you go around it and there they are in little boxes. You wonder what's all this about. But the real trip I was wanting to visit was in Big Valley, which is 30 miles south of Stettler. And this is one that had piqued my interest, the Creation Science Museum in Big Valley. It's There's a big uh, railway museum in Big Valley, which is a standard museum. We arrived there in the afternoon, and this is quite a notorious place because they are promoting the idea of creation science, which has got some interesting aspects to it in my book, but there's also several things that are a bit strange. 
and you've got to know where your patients come from and what their thinking is. And, you know, I think the idea that everybody in this province has got the similar belief systems is just obviously wrong. The Creation Science Museum is well set out. There's a lot of detailed reading to do. You've got some nice models and very good pictures. And it boils down to they don't believe Darwin. And Darwin takes quite a lot of knocks. One of the things that really didn't bother me was the idea that Darwin wasn't actually a trained scientist. That doesn't bother me because I know plenty of trained scientists that really aren't very clever. And so Darwin had a degree in theology. Nevertheless, he was an observer and his hypothesis is that natural selection and the origin of the species. And of course, the creation answer is that God created each species separate. All Darwin was observing was some adaptation to local conditions. For example, there's finches with different sizes of beaks and different types of beak that there was really no evidence of any movement from one species to another. You know, it is difficult to show that kind of thing, an intermediary species. The anthropologists think they've got it, and I think they have, but it's certainly something you can argue about. The downfall in my book was there were a couple of important points from the creation side of it was that the timing of the origin of the world and the disappearance of the dinosaurs is way out of whack. They say that there were dinosaurs around in England 800 years ago. And the evidence for that is a sculpture in Carlisle Cathedral, which I've never been to, which has got something that looks like a brontosaurus, which incidentally is called Apatosaurus now, I was told by my little grandson. That's evidence that dinosaurs were wandering the UK. The fact that nobody's actually mentioned that in any of the history books <laughs> seemed to have flown past them, but um, and it did occur to me that the Loch Ness Monster, you know, people keep talking about it. Maybe there's some funny kind of thing still there that has been seen from time to time, but that, it's a real weakness in the creation argument. And then the last one, of course, is that they had a, a model of Noah's Ark, which had been seen, spotted by some German airmen on Mount Ararat, and that this was evidence of the flood. And they had a it was a parchment of Henry VIII and his lineage. And it was Henry VIII and Henry VII, the sixth, and all that. And at the bottom was Adam and Eve. And I thought, well, you know, what I know of Henry VIII, <laughs> um, him coming from Adam and Eve, I'm not sure about. So by then it was getting a little silly and I thought, oh, this is really... It all boils down to whether you believe the absolute literal interpretation of the Bible. And if you say that that is not necessarily the case, then... Uh, creation science tends to fall apart. Now, Sandy, we can always count on you to spin a good story, and you've you've told us about you've told us about Vulcans and and gophers and and creation science. Now, what's what's the moral to all of this for AMA members? Well, it's it's all to do with evidence. I think first of all, I think you've got to all all clinicians really should know a lot about the background of their patients. We must know the individual and know the family and know what their thinking is. You know, we've got Hutterites, we've got natives, we have creation scientists, all sorts of people from all over the world, each with different values. And to really be effective and form a relationship, you've got to get to know them. I think the family doctors know that, but a lot of my colleagues 
as specialists don't, because somebody says something, you know, why do you want to do that, doc? And you think, oh, that's daft. Obviously, you want to do something there. I think that's important. The other thing is the evidence and the difficulties of really analyzing evidence well. And that is a skill and a training that I think is, is very important in medicine. And indeed, even gophers can teach us this. <laughs> well, that's right. I can tell you that the Gopher Museum was more crowded than the Creation Science Museum. Thank you for these wise words once again, Sandy, and uh, we enjoyed it. Of course, uh, we will look forward to you joining us again next time on Alberta Doctor's Digest. Oh, great. Thanks, Marvin. Bye-bye.